Welcome to episode 86 of Bo Knows Stuff, where I, Dr. Bo, try to learn more stuff, and I get a great education here on this episode with Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED, DPT, that's the Emergency Department, Doctor of Physical Therapy, quite a mouthful, but we need to have folks like her out there in the world helping people in an emergency situation with nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 back pain or whatever the musculoskeletal condition is. I said back pain because it's the most common one that tends to send people to the emergency department. However, we need to have folks like her with our doctorate of physical therapy degree in the emergency department. It is saving the entire medical system time, money, energy, mental stress because we are able to stop with all the x-rays, imaging, unnecessary things more often than not that the system is designed to improve upon. I love this topic. I'm passionate if you can't tell. So without further ado, I'm going to let you listen to Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT episode 86 of Bo Learning More Stuff. That's what I get out of we are live. Here we are with Rebecca Griffith, uh, and you are about an hour south of me, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm up here near Boulder. You're down by Denver-ish. Yep. We got an unstoppable lady going. Um, we connected mainly on the Twitters, and turns out we were pretty close to each other. And the big thing we're going to talk about today, for anyone tuning in, is uh, she just launched her new brand of the ED DPT, and that's not erectile dysfunction for the fans of my wife in the sexual side of it. Uh, it's the emergency department. Uh, why didn't you go ER? I, I guess that's not oh, – I do want to ask that. What is that? It's not accurate to what you do? Well, so if you work in the emergency department, you know that we don't call it the ER. We call it the department because it's not yeah. a room. It's a department, and <laughs> you can't really specialize in – a type of medicine in a room. So I think the trend in emergency medicine has been to either call it emergency medicine or emergency department. So but that's why. Rooney and Anthony Edwards, like we need. I know. Margulies. Come on. Uh, you got to right. play off of that. But yeah, that, that's awesome. So the EDDPT, um, the big thing here is you are a physical therapist. A little bit about what that setup looks like. Somebody comes in with nine out of 10 back pain. Um, and, and you're right there on call and they say, Dr. Rebecca, come on over and, and tell, us, tell us how that goes. So there are a couple of different ways. If you come into the emergency room by ambulance, you're going to see the, the physician team first and, and then we'll get involved with you after that. Um, but if you come in, if you walk in with low back pain right now, we're doing a pilot program having physical therapists front and center. So you would be triaged and then you'd see a physical therapist directly. So those are the patients that we're able to see pretty quickly and see what we can do to evaluate, treat, and get those patients on to the next step with hopefully a little bit quicker access to care. Awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a very concise answer. So I know, I know you've also been, we talked about this on some previous calls, and uh, for full transparency, folks, uh, Rebecca and I are in a book club. Uh, and next week. <laughs> I'm, next week, I'm still finishing up the book. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun one. Uh, but yeah, so, so out of all that, we talked about it on one of our book club calls in terms of, um, yeah, how, how prevalent is this in, uh, at least the United States of having uh, a PT in the emergency department? How are you familiar with some of the stats? We kind of touched on it. 
Yeah, so Dr. Stacey Fruth, um, she's in Michigan. She did this last year. She did a survey of emergency department physical therapy providers, and it looks like there's about 100 programs in existence that we know of. So there may be more than that. It's just not clear from the data that she was able to collect. And that sounds like a lot, but when you think about it, that's not even really like, that's just barely two per state. Two per state, yeah. Yeah, so, and I would really like to see a physical therapist in every emergency department and every urgent care so that we can really help provide the right provider for the right patient at the right time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I'm curious for the, for the PTs out there, not familiar like myself, not that familiar with what that looks like. What, what kind of um, setup do you have? Do you have hot packs, electrical stimulation? Do you have TheraBands you're giving them? Um, you know, just, just wondering on that side of it is what does that setup look like? Are you doing hands-on stuff? But, you know, I, I know that there, this goes many different ways. I have my thoughts on what you're doing if I'm thrown at that situation. But, um, yeah, tell us a little bit of what that setup looks like. Well, I think it depends on what the patient's there for, right? So if we're seeing like your your 90-year-old grandmother who fell down the stairs and broke an ankle, like we're mostly looking at durable medical equipment, gait training, home safety, making referrals for discharge planning. If you come in with acute low back pain, you know, I have I have access to some e-stim, I have my hands, I have dry needling that we can provide. We do have access to things like TheraBand taping. Um, we don't really have any weights or anything like that. We, we just have the room that we're in and the space that we have and a limited amount of time. So basically what we try to do most is empower the patient on how they can best take care of themselves. So I do a lot of pain neuroscience education. I do a lot of activity modification education. I do a lot of discharge planning, things like that. Awesome. And so I know here in Colorado where you and I are, um, us PTs can order x-rays, imaging, MRIs, even blood work. Um, but I'm wondering in other states where the PT technically licensed does not allow that and there's a PT in the emergency room, is that just saying, hey, I need to get doc, you know, the orthopedist here and they need to come and, and take a look because I do think there's a yellow flag or a red flag where maybe imaging is warranted, but I can't order it. Uh, and so you, you're saving that step kind of based on our licensure here. But uh, yeah, just in, in terms of referring out and just the relationships, I'd love to hear you talk about how how it works with uh, building those relationships with the ED docs um, and, yeah. and other other folks in the, that, the hospital system. Well, I think my favorite, absolute favorite part about working in the emergency department is that it's a team sport. So if you've ever worked in an acute care setting, you know that there are, there are nurses and then there's the resident or the PA or the nurse practitioner. And then there's like several layers before you get up to like say the attending level. In the emergency department, it's not like that. So the attendings kind of see us as same level colleagues. They call, you know, Dr. Griffith, I would really like your opinion about this patient case. And so it's collaborative care. So just like if they had called the orthopedist and the orthopedist says, hey, I'd like plain view, I'd like plain films of this view and that view, I, I can do the same thing. So I would hope that that same type of collaboration would be present in every state, whether it's part of their licensure or not. Just like if you were going to refer a patient back from an outpatient clinic to their orthopedist, you can do the same thing. You can come up to the attending and say, hey, you know, I know that this patient is here for hip pain, but I really actually have some concern about like a sacral fracture. Or can we do a CT to make sure they don't have a tibial plateau fracture? And my experience has been that once we established rapport, credibility, and our skill set in this setting, that the physicians are more than happy to listen. They're very collaborative. And 
working in the emergency department, that's their job, right? Their job is to gather the best evidence from every specialist and the best recommendations and then make their plan of care based on that. So they're some of the most humble and willing to collaborate providers I've ever worked with. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And uh, for anyone not familiar here, again, we're going to, from uh, from my kind of so, sort of outsider perspective of all this, I know that in the military, PTs are able to, again, do all these ordering uh, of imaging, even doing injections and things like that. So it's interesting because we do have the training for it, especially at our doctoral level. Um, mm -hmm. and, and in a lot of states, again, it becomes a matter of who has what financial incentives and, and things like that, which is why, you know, dry needling is not allowed in, in other states where I was, California, New York, um, two of the states where the acupuncture lobby just managed to block us from being allowed to do that. And, and here in Colorado, we're obviously, again, allowed to do that. So, uh, but, but my Thanks question- again, Lots of hard work by a lot of really amazing people. There you go. Yes. And that's where the, the advocacy, we might touch on that in the APTA, um, except in California, New York, they're still dropping the ball, not doing hard enough work. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to stick my foot in that one. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just being, being a little, little facetious. Uh, but, but my question becomes, um, yeah, what, what kind what kind of additional training or did you feel like you needed to do additional training or are there mandated aspects? Is it the hospital system that's requiring it? Like you need to go and take whatever other, uh, courses, whether it's again, around imaging or specifically around an emergency medical situation. I was going down the path of, of athletic training and, and going and getting a sports residency so I can be on field. There was that emergency medical kind yeah. of uh, system, but a little different. So I'd be curious to hear again, what, what additional things, if somebody wanted to pursue this, uh, they, they would have to go through. And again, is a different hospital to hospital or state to state? Yeah, I did take that class that you're talking about, the emergency medical training for a physical therapist. And and it was not particularly helpful for what I do. It was it's a very great course for helping like sidelines and being out in the community. But when you're in the emergency department, you're less of a first responder and more of a first receiver. Mm. So you need to have a, a really wide skill set. And what I usually call it is you need to be ready to practice top of scope. So there shouldn't be things where you aren't willing to do. Like there are some PT clinics that I've been to and they'll be like, oh, well, John only treats the hip and the knee. He doesn't really do shoulders. You, that is not um, a thing that really can fly in the emergency department. So you right. need to be comfortable with vitals interpretation. You need to become comfortable with complex comorbidities, polypharmacy, fall risks, stratification, durable medical equipment, prescription, anything from like a cane to, to a a wheelchair. Like you need to be able to prescribe all of those things. You need to have a lot of facility with different types of bracing. Some emergency department physical therapists are doing all the wound care. They're doing splinting after fractures, things like that. So you need to have strong orthopedic skills, neurologic skills, medical skills. Um, differential diagnosis is huge. I tell mm -hmm. students just because they're in the emergency department and they're seeing you does not mean the emergency has passed. So you need to be prepared and ready for this patient to still be emerging as an emergency. So I've had, I, I would say, far more critical events in the emergency department than I've ever had practicing in the ICU. Even though those patients may be less stable, they're so well titrated and cared for. While in the emergency department, people are still declaring themselves. So you have to really be prepared to act quickly as well. I would say other skills, stress management, time management, and really strong communication skills. And it's not for everybody. But so far, there aren't any really great 
courses that, um, well, I shouldn't say that. There are some courses available. They just are not, um, there's not a lot of them. So we're working towards making better continuing adoptions. We're make, working towards making better preparatory coursework for P PTs that want to practice in the emergency department. Very cool. Yeah. Um, one question that brings up for me, because I've, I've been interested in this for a while, is uh, in terms of imaging, what, what have you found to be the most useful uh, based on, so again, give it, you know, maybe give us a, a, some examples of what kind of presentations people are coming in with. Again, is it often back spasms that are, you know, nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10? Uh, that's usually how I talk in an outpatient setting is like, if, if a, ten, a 10 is going to the emergency room or yeah. department or department. So, uh, you know, what, when, when somebody tells me, oh, it's an 11 out of 10, um, <laughs> I was like, well, maybe, are you, why aren't you at the, you know, department? Um, so, some of the things that you know you're commonly seeing if you can kind of categorize that uh and then the sub question of that is yeah what have you found um do you do, have you played at all with like diagnostic ultrasound is that something that's available to you or we do have physicians that do that i i don't have any training in that so i haven't done that yet but it would be a really cool school skill to learn i think yeah it's something i've thought about doing an outpatient just to look at like tendon health and Again, a lot of people are like, what you know, I'm dealing in this CrossFit space. People are thinking like, oh, do I have a torn rotator cuff? And the chiropractor told me I have a torn rotator cuff. Like, what do I do now? Um, so being able to show that with very quickly with, with a diagnostic ultrasound, the cheapest I've seen them is like $2,000. Um, and it just connects to your iPhone and you can just pop it up right there. And yeah, there's definitely the, the educational component around that. But maybe coming back to, uh, yeah, what kind of general presentations are you seeing? If you can, maybe, you know, top three things you, you end up getting? Is there is there any themes you can share with that? Yeah, um, I would say like just this last Friday, I had several patients who came in um, with back pain after lifting things. Mm -hmm. So we'll see a lot of workers comp related injuries, people coming in after lifting something wrong or getting crushed by something at work or, you know, we're so close to the airport. So I'll see a lot of like baggage handlers coming in with back pain mm -hmm. after things like that. We've had such snowy, icy weather. I'm seeing a lot of sprains, strains from falling on the ice, um, a lot of vertigo as well. We see a lot of patients come in with, as as you know, vertigo is scary. Yeah. So that is like one of the top three things that we see are patients who who maybe wake up with BPPV and are completely incapacitated and terrified. So they come to the emergency room and we're able to help them get moving a little bit better. What, what's um, the what's the basic um, you know protocol around the the vertigo? Because yeah, again, there's is it the Epley maneuver? Do you go right to that? Is it uh, you know for those not familiar, it's uh, again the room might be spinning. You're kind of again differentially yeah. diagnosing. Is it is it true vertigo? Is it BPPV? Is it you know is it the room spinning? Are you spinning? Are you just nauseous? Is all these different kind of questions? So yeah, I'm yeah. curious what uh, again when do you go to how quickly do you go to that Epley maneuver to try to release or, or, or calm things down again that's where you're trying to reset the crystals in the in the ear for those again not familiar uh, so yeah I'd be I would love to hear uh, also because my wife had some of those experiences where I was at home with her early on in our relationship and having to, to try some different things and figure out what to do yeah I would say that that when patients come in with dizziness the first step is to make sure they're not having anything life-threatening or really dangerous. So they'll get quick screenings to, to determine, are they having kind of some cerebrovascular event, a stroke, something like that, something that's a little bit more dangerous. So I usually walk people through their history very carefully to try and determine, are we looking at a peripheral vertigo or is this a central type of issue that we need to get you some emergent care for? 
Um, so we, we work through that with the physicians as well. I talk to people a lot about what medications they're taking that might be causing some of it, but really it's, it's back to that age old adage, like listen to your patient and what they're telling you because they may not have vertigo. I, I had a patient last week who came in with ear pain and ear ringing and some dizziness, but with the history, she was really not endorsing any kind of room spinning, any type of typical vertigo. And so we did an oculomotor exam, didn't find any evidence of BPPV and, or any other type of peripheral vertigo. So she was one that was referred back to the physician team for more of a medical workup to determine what was causing her issues. So we'll do the Epley maneuver if a patient really does have kind of a straightforward BPPV. If they have a peripheral vertigo, we'll talk to the physicians about how can we best help them with these symptoms, and then we get them referred on to a vestibular specialist. Interesting, yeah. Um... And then that takes me kind of to the next next thing. One of our first book club we mentioned was was upstream, um, mm. and I know that's some part of your your kind of new mission statement, right? Of of the EDPP. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what tell us a little bit about that concept of upstream um, and uh, how how you're incorporating that into your your new brand. Well, so the concept of being upstream, right, is like solving problems before they start, and there's there's the the example in the book of that you you and your friend are sitting by the river and a child falls in and you climb in and you pull the child out and you save them from drowning and you're like, whoo, everything's good now. But then more and more children keep falling into the river and your friend leaves you and you're like, where are you going? And he says, to stop whoever's throwing all these kids in the water. Yeah. So by the time people are getting to the emergency department, I usually consider them sort of off the waterfall already. So they've fallen into the river, they've gone over the edge and they need somebody to catch them. Hopefully, that's what we're able to do. And I think the best example of that is that we, if you are coming in, hopefully for your first fall or maybe your first near fall, if I can get you the appropriate durable medical equipment, find you the appropriate follow-up rehab services, help you figure out if there are anything we can change in your environment, your medications, or or your personal history to help prevent you from falling. Perhaps we've saved you another emergency department visit. We've helped keep you in your home longer. We've prevented a head injury or a hip injury and more further downstream medical costs. So there was a retrospective article that was completed with patients who were billed Medicare for a visit in the emergency department for falls. And if they were billed by a physical therapist for an evaluation, they were much less likely to have increased medical costs related to the fall and had decreased follow-up care needs after that. So I think that's one example of how we can get upstream and help prevent worse things from happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and just being, having a PT in the emergency department versus going to a hospital where there is no PT, and obviously for most patients, this is not something they're investigating and like, oh, I know that, you know, general or whatever, uh, Denver general, I don't know. I, I, and w remind us the name of the hospital you're at. If you, <laughs> I'm at UC health, UC health. Yes. Mm -hmm. University of Colorado health. Um, but yeah, so instead of, you know, people probably not shopping and they, a lot of times you end right. up going wherever you go, you call 911, you get to whatever emergency department you're, you're, you know, closest to you or that it, the ambulance that, uh, shows up is, is going to take you to, and they're determining that right on the spot. And I used to be an EMT also, uh, which, so I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with that side of it. And, but yeah, we, we would just get you to the emergency department and, and hopefully, you know, uh, we're doing what we can to, to keep that person alive or keep them comfortable while we can and diagnose and passing on that information. But in terms of cost savings, you mentioned, uh, some of the, the cost savings. I think that's, that's phenomenal. Again, is there any, uh, research or numbers you're familiar with in terms of, 
Um, another big thing is the opioid crisis, right? So a mm -hmm. lot of times if there is no physical therapist, the, the nurse or, or the doctor on staff is going to say, hey, we got to get you out of this pain. Boom. You know, you're, you're getting painkillers uh, versus a physical therapist being there. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things I think we know in, in the profession is we can then say, hey, you don't need painkillers. You need to do X, Y, Z. So uh, in terms of cost savings in the short term and like you're saying, all the way upstream as much as possible when they show up in the emergency department. Are, again, are you familiar with? Uh, you know, some of the numbers, is there research out there? Is there not enough data yet in terms of some of that? Well, it's, it's interesting that you ask because this last week I put together a reference list. So anybody who's interested in starting an EDPT program, if you want to email me or contact with me, I can send you that reference list about references in the emergency department to support this practice. And it's 15 pages long. So the answer is there didn't used to be good data, but now there's great data. So the primary themes of emergency department physical therapy, as far as cost savings go, are that we were really decreasing unnecessary hospitalizations. So prior, you know, if, if your grandmother again fell and couldn't be discharged home, if she's able to see a physical therapist and get the right follow-up care and the equipment that she needs, she can go home and not have to stay in the hospital, which we know can lead to decreased um, mobility and, and other things. Uh, it's also been shown to decrease imaging, unnecessary imaging and opioid use. Those are both things that are research backed by both national and international data. Uh -huh. So there's there's so much good information out there. I, like I said, there's 15 pages of references. Our international colleagues are blowing us out of the water here, but it's so amazing to see the good work that's being done. There's also a little bit of literature uh, support for occupational therapists in the emergency department as far as function. Um, particularly with patients experiencing homelessness and how they can help those patients as well. So it's definitely a growing area to have rehab services in the emergency department. Awesome. Uh, are you all right with me, Sharon? Is it the R. Griffith DPT at Gmail? Yep, that's fine. Yeah, so I'm going to mm -hmm. put that up on the screen right now. So if anyone wants to uh, shoot her an email, we'll have that in the show notes as well for anyone listening. Uh, but if you're watching, it's right here below me. Um, you mentioned the international um, colleagues blowing us out of the water. And is that mm -hmm. just simple as we have, there's these national health uh, systems in Canada and the UK where, uh, again, because of the way those systems are structured, they're, they're doing a lot more to find probably much more efficient, cost-effective ways to, to deal with some of these issues that are common, commonly coming up. Whereas here, and unfortunately, again, uh, you know, the American system is more profit-driven, uh, co reactionary, cover your CYA, cover your ass also when you mentioned over ordering of imaging, things like that and saying, hey, let's just get an x-ray, make sure there's nothing more serious going on. Sometimes obviously that, that can be a good thing, but uh, yeah, sometimes it's, it's not necessary. And we have things like the Ottawa ankle rules, let's say. So somebody twists an ankle and then um, Dr. Griffith here can say, hey, no, based on these rules, like you don't need an image and all you need is, is a little splint and we'll keep an eye on this. And this is the things you need to look out for. And now we have pretty good certainty around something that's very well established, very evidence-based. Whereas uh, a lot of other medical systems or hospitals that don't have a physical therapist there right on right, right, ready to go uh, might not be able to provide that kind of uh, clear information, clear diagnosis. And again, they're just going to say, here's a pill, here's an x-ray, here's an MRI. Like we're going to take you down the system. And now we just spent an additional, X amount of dollars. And we also just delayed your healing possibly by X amount of, of time as well. So um, yeah, for anyone, you know, it, it, it's, it's an interesting topic too here because we're talking to, to consumers, to physical therapists as well. But um, 
in terms of the, the consumer doesn't really get that choice. So, you know, it's not like you get right. to go to the emergency room and you're like, hey, do you have a physical therapist I can see? Because, you know, I know that I listen to this podcast and <laughs> I need to, you know. Hey, it's worth asking because most hospitals do have physical therapists on staff. So even if they don't have one that's dedicated in the emergency department, I would I would encourage patients to advocate for themselves and say, hey, you know, I, I would love to see a physical therapist if that's a service that you have here. Yeah. I'm going to take yeah, a drink of water. Sure. And, that's all right. And you have to notice that i'm using my giant hospital cup <laughs> excellent excellent that is quite the the mug i'm sure pt pintcast <laughs> jimmy mckay would be very proud of that that looks like, <laughs> that looks like a bit more than a pint um yeah it's a big cup but you know they're durable is that, like a, is that like a gallon is that what that is <laughs> it's like 30 ounces i think maybe <laughs> um so coming back to this uh <laughs> upstream concept um one of the things I advocate for in the outpatient setting, and I'm trying to find a way to get it much more standardized and or commonplace or accepted is the concept of an annual orthopedic screening. It's something that mm. we mentioned the APTA, American Physical Therapy Association, has touched on but never really pushed hard enough in, in uh, my experience, my vision of it. Um, I know, again, there was Shirley Sarman was pushing for it a long time ago, one mm -hmm. of the biggest kind of... Uh, influences in, in our field long time. Um, Marilyn Moffitt, who was the president of the American Physical Therapy Association and the World Physical Therapy Association at some point. Um, some of the, the, the you know, the, the, the superhero women that I know you like to yeah. always um, applaud on, on, on social media, but um, annual orthopedic screening. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that, again, really upstream uh, would be something that can help us, again, avoid falls, avoid these things that are common to getting Again, like you said, you, so many people just showing up, lifting things wrong, and that's not lifting necessarily in the gym. It's just, like you said, baggage handlers, people that should be understanding of how to move better. Um, and that's where we come in. That's our specialty, but something missing in this whole equation. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm a board certified neurologic clinical specialist, so I'm going to push back on this concept of it, like an annual orthopedic evaluation and call it like an annual mobility health. Sure. Sure. <laughs> evaluation. I'll, I'll, because I'll agree to that. <laughs> the orthopedic is just so limiting. Like, I want to know how your balance is. I want to know how your vision is. I want to know how your your muscle extensibility is. I want to know how your bones feel to you. I want to know how it feels when you move. And I think that's different for everyone, right? Like your mobility evaluation bow is going to be different than say like my mom's evaluation. You're moving nicely. You're able to do most of the things you want to do. Whereas my mom is 72 years old and wants to walk more and, and be more comfortable with community ambulation. So there are gonna be different things that we look at, but I absolutely agree that I think it would be a valuable upstream service. I think also looking at the work of organizations like the APHPT and seeing how they're getting into workplaces and going direct to employers to help manage population health as a whole is an area that physical therapists should absolutely be in. Every time I do see somebody come in with a worker's comp injury, like someone who is like pulling boxes off a conveyor belt in this one position all day and they can't change the setup. Like what can we do to make that person feel better? I think is a really good way to get at the root cause so that they're not ending up in the emergency department. So I yeah, think that's a space that physical therapists absolutely should be in. When we talk about this concept of pretty soon we're going to have too many PTs and not enough jobs. Like, I don't believe that. I believe that we need PTs to get into more spaces. We need to fill the preventative health space. We need to fill the occupational health space. And we need to be offering some of those primary care services 
to patients to help keep their bodies moving well. And even if we do that in partnership with their primary care physician, I think that's absolutely fantastic so that we can keep people going for as long as possible. And like the APTA says, transforming society by optimizing movement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's some of the different interesting definitions in my uh, episodes here for anyone who's been following along or wants to go back and listen to other episodes is always, how do we define fitness? And one of the definitions that, that I really like about fitness um, is, is goes way beyond six packs and, you know, booty burn and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, booty burn, not a good term in general. Um, but, uh, but, but the concept there is, is, uh, and I think I'll, I'll give Kelly Starrett, uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett, also a physical therapist credit here of, of how useful are you in society? So, you know, again, talking about a grandmother who just wants to be able to emulate in the community, um, I would push back on you and say, actually, I think that the, the assessment, the base assessment is still going to be uh, the, at the top tier, the same exact thing that I'm doing as a, you know, relatively healthy fit 38 year old of, you know, we have our primal movement patterns. We have our breathing patterns. Like you're saying your balance, uh, we, you know, I might be able to hold on, on one leg and, and do some dynamic stuff for 60 seconds and, and not fall down. And whereas somebody in their seventies or eighties might only be able to hold for 15, 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, if they haven't been, been testing that or even five seconds or even three seconds that I'm sure we've seen versions of that. Um, and so it, it's still kind of the, I think that the top tier of movement, all everyone's bodies and the needs of an Olympic athlete and a grandmother are still the same. Obviously, Agreed. again, it's just different, different grades and things like that. So might be different testing and they might need different things. And I talk to people, especially in the emergency department, if they're ready to have the conversation about what I call the five areas of physical wellness, I talk to them about nutrition, hydration, stress management, mobility, and sleep. And usually people have them rank like where they feel like they are on a five scale on each of these areas and have them start focusing on one or two of those things so that they can gradually improve their health. And I know you 100% believe in that mm -hmm. being just a little bit better tomorrow than you were today. 1% better every day. 1% better. And so I think no matter who you are, there's, there's room for improvement. So I really do believe in that. And I think that we need to do more of that education. But I think the other piece that I'm super present to in the emergency department are social determinants of health. So if I have a patient who is experiencing homelessness or who might have a substance abuse issue or um, you know, no access to medical care or doesn't speak English, like there are so many barriers to health for these patients. And we're doing a, a large segment of the population a huge disservice. And I feel like physical therapy shouldn't be a luxury for people. It shouldn't be something that they've never heard of when they come to the emergency department, but something that's easily accessible for everyone to help improve health. 100%. So how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Um, yeah. I know, again, your, your brand is, is taking some of that on. But yeah, what, what other things can the listeners do, especially if they're physical therapists out there? Uh, what can they be doing in their jurisdiction, their, their cities, states, towns? Well, I would encourage people to read up about what social determinants of health are. I'll, I'll speak to a number of physical therapists that have never really heard the term. And I think that if we're screening for those, there are outcome measures that we use. There's a really nice article in JOSPT about social determinants of health and how to screen for those properly. But then the next step to that is being prepared to offer resources and actually intervene. It doesn't do much good to your patient if you ask them if they're having these problems, but then aren't prepared to really help them address them. So I'd say that's one step that everybody could take. I also think it's important to just be aware of your community and everybody talks about the zip code, right? Like your, your best 
outcomes of health are most closely tied to the zip code that you live in. So I live in a fairly affluent zip code. I mean, people here can probably get mostly whatever they need if they want, and they can afford to cash pay and they can afford to have a massage therapist, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, like whatever they might need. But the zip code around my hospital is completely different. And those patients may not know where their next meal is coming from. So being aware of where you practice and seeing what you can do to make your services more accessible to people in those other zip codes. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, I, and again, from 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 like my perspective, because hey, I'm a cash-based physical therapist, I go to people's homes, like you're saying, I'm kind of on that higher end of uh, cost. So yeah, is it is it having kind of discounted versions of that? It's offering... Um, I mean, even at the CrossFit gym, you know, because people are paying a decent amount of money for CrossFit, uh, for me to just jump in there, I'm obviously there if they get injured, but it's still trying to work that upstream concept of, hey, I do a, again, like angle orthopedic or movement screen um, for, you know, X amount of dollars where, you know, the cost has to be be a factor into that, that equation. So um, even maybe lowering that and making it more accessible to other community centers reaching out, YMCA's kind of things where, where there might be ways that we can certainly uh, put our put our reach a lot further into more needed areas. So I, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And just on that, I mean, again, when folks are in those situations of the lower income, especially, I, I'm going to throw out there, and I'm sure you've seen it, unfortunately, is when they do have to go to the emergency room, they're more likely to need to go to the emergency room or department. And also the costs associated with that, assuming they don't have the best insurances, uh, can or any. be, or any insurance, right. And, and, and unfortunately the medical costs in this country are the number one uh, risk factor or the number one uh, thing that leads to bankruptcy and, yeah. and poverty again. So, you know, being in debt for a long time, uh, especially when we can, again, uh, start to make small changes and make small educational co components that, hopefully can, again, uh, make, uh, help us avoid a lot of these situations uh, down the line. And again, it's such a big problem. I appreciate that, you know, you're making inroads into um, changing this pretty big, big issue. And, and, you know, I don't know how much of that came from just reading that book, but, uh, <laughs> um, or something that was kind of there all along, but, but yeah, that, uh, the upstream book, definitely one we recommend, I imagine both of us. Um, and so well, and I think, I think I would love to have a list of PT providers in the community who are willing to take pro bono patients, who are willing to see patients with Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Those resources are so small. So if if you can, like maxim, as you maximize your cash-based practice, are you then able to take patients on a sliding scale? Are you able right. to do more like that? Um, I would say PT day of service is another really good opportunity for PTs to maybe serve in communities they, they wouldn't otherwise coming out and doing educational events, serving in your shelters or your community shelters and resource centers so that you can at least give people some more access to physical therapy or, or just general health related advice. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really good ideas. And hopefully uh, folks hear this and, and jump on some of these concepts and, and start, uh, you know, moving and motivating. And I definitely want to do a little bit more myself as we're talking. So we will talk offline, but uh, move, moving over to a little bit of a, of a more fun maybe topic is, and I'm sure you get this a lot is what's the craziest thing uh, you've had come to, to, you know, to you in the emergency department that if you have a good story there that you can share. Well, first I would tell you never to ask an emergency provider, what's the worst thing they've seen? Because um, I didn't that say worse. I said yes. craziest. So 100%. <laughs> I, I, I get that you didn't say that, but I just want to put that out there as a yeah. public service announcement for all of my frontline <laughs> providers. That's traumatic for people. 
Yeah. And and I have things that I don't want to talk about. I have things that I've seen that I don't I, I won't unsee. Sure. Um, so but I would say I, I had a patient who came in and she's she's invited me to share her story freely. And I've done some case study presentations on it before, but she came in with low back pain. Um, she thought from lifting her granddaughter and then having a rear ending car accident, kind of your typical low back pain. Like it seemed like low back pain with radiating pain, L4, L5 distribution. I was able to make some changes with some manual therapy, but she just didn't look well. Her vitals were okay when we began. I, I got her up with a caned start because I thought, let's see if we can get you to, to where you could go back to work. And she was not able to cognitively manage the cane. Mm. Like she couldn't, couldn't do it. And then I, I put her on a walker and I took her to the restroom because, you know, in acute care, you take people to the bathroom. Yeah. And while we we're in there, she just couldn't figure out like the steps, the hygiene steps. Mm. So she like ended up needing like hand over hand assistance. And this was somebody who, when they came in was like completely oriented. And then as we were walking back, like I'm noticing like this increased work of breathing and just some other things like didn't add up. Like she had a lot of abdominal distension. I had done an abdominal exam and you know, I just kind of left it with her like, Hey, you know, these are the physical therapy things that I want to work on with you, but I'm going to just talk to the providers a little bit. And I, God bless this physician because I came out of the room. They had shift changed while I was in there. It was his first day. <laughs> Never worked with a PT in the emergency department before. And I was like, who are you? And he was like, who are you? And I said, I'm the physical therapist. I'm seeing this patient. Something is wrong, like really wrong with this patient. And he just said, okay. And they did a larger workup. They did more blood work. They did an MRI and they found that she had an abscess on the MRI, a spinal abscess from C5 to T12 wow. on the MRI. And they admitted her at that time. And then overnight she became unresponsive. And so they took mm -hmm. her to the OR immediately. And it turned out that the abscess went from C5 all the way to S2. Wow. So they had to clean that whole thing out. She had a chest tube. She had, I mean, mm -hmm. She went from the ED to the ICU, to the acute care floor, to the rehab unit, to home health, to outpatient, and is now like fine and yeah. fully back to work. But they had told her if she had gone home, if they had just said, you know, here's your x-ray was negative. Here's, here's some pain medication. She probably would have just passed in her sleep. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is she doesn't remember any of that. Wow. She has no memory of me in the emergency department. She doesn't, she doesn't remember any of it, but she wanted to meet me later. And I didn't recognize her when I saw her well and healthy. She was so changed and, and like so well compared to the person that I saw, but I didn't have that baseline of knowing what her normal was because she still looked okay and sounded okay and talked okay, but she just wasn't herself. And her family was also like, there's just something really wrong. In retrospect, she thinks she caused the car accident and that she had been deteriorating that whole time. She thinks it was probably her fault versus thinking it was the trigger of what started it. Wow. And it turned out, everybody always asks this, like what was with the abdominal symptoms? They think she threw septic emboli from her intestines. Huh. And that's how the abscess started. Wow. So that was probably one of my weirder ones, but that case <laughs> I think is important because that could be any setting. Right. That could be you, Bo, like going yeah, into yeah. home and being like, oh, you had a car accident. Like, let's take a look at your back. 
So being aware, checking vitals, because she had deteriorated uh-huh. 70% on her pulse ox. She was uh-huh. tapping. Like, and that was just pre and post within an hour of right. a huge change. So making sure you're checking those things yeah. and you're aware of, of people, how they're mobilizing. I, I've had outpatient PT say, I never would have gone with her to the bathroom. I wouldn't have gotten her up and moved her necessarily. You know, so those are all things that I think are important. Yeah, vitals are vital. As uh, I forget, there's one, at least one physio or PT out there on the social medias who's really pushing that that message. Dr. Severin, I think. Yes, yes, I think mm-hmm. that's correct. Rich Severin? Yep, you yep. got it. Yep, so uh, he's, he's a big uh, advocate of making sure, again, a lot of folks do get a little lazy or can get lazy with, with not checking that stuff in different mm-hmm. settings and saying like, yeah, you're fine, you look good. And again, 99.9% of the time, might not be a thing, but like you're saying, and that's why I, I did ask about that kind of the, the, the weirdest or craziest story, not the worst. Um, no. but also because my wife as a sex and relationship therapist, like, uh, you know, we would, we'd, we'll go to a, a gathering of 20 people and the host will be like, Hey guys, the sex therapist is here. And everyone will come and get their questions ready. Like, uh, uh, and it's like, I'm asking for a friend, but you know, is it normal to have a gerbil up your ass? Like Richard, Gere and, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, anyway, I don't, that was, that was a rumor. That was a yeah, no, I've that. never seen anything like that come into the emergency room ever. <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it. At that. <laughs> so uh, we, we will wrap up here unless you have some other closing thoughts, a la Jerry Springer or anything. Um, anything else you want to share with folks about the EDDPT? Oh, well, we are here to help you learn how to practice in the emergency department, how to start a program, how to find resources how to continue your education. And I also want to put a plug out there for people. There is a Facebook group to connect with people who practice in the emergency department. It's called the EPT Facebook group. And there's also one for students. So if you're interested, definitely connect there and I'm available anytime. Love to hear it. And uh, we have your, um, we have your email up and anywhere else folks can find you. I know you just uh, opened your new accounts on Twitter and, and Instagram as well. Yep. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Someday, if I get brave enough, maybe YouTube. <laughs> and TikTok, you're not going to, that, that's way down no. the line. No. I'm too no. old for that. I think, no. I think I've think i officially crossed over into too old for TikTok. I, I, everyone keeps telling me, you got to go there. And it's like, it's where the kids are. And I'm like, I'm not really, you know, marketing to the kids, but that's all right. No. Um, I don't want to do the little dance videos where you're like, boo, pop, pop. Yeah, I don't have enough rhythm for that. And I know that's really saying something. Um, yeah, but that, that could be your own like little thing. You can, you can be the, the outer rhythm, whatever person. The PT and... that's completely off that all the text is over here and I'm like on the side. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, be even, even a lot of the folks I see, you know, when I do see some of those videos, I'm like, yeah, they're a little, they're a little off. They could have done, you know, clean that up a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> that might've been their 500th take, Bo. You gotta like give people some grace. I, I know, but again, it's, uh, if you're doing it and you're trying to be that guy, like you better, you better come correct. Anyway, Fair that's fine. Uh, but yeah, so appreciate you being on here, uh, Dr. Griffith, and uh, we know where to find you, and hopefully everyone got 1% better, and we're going to close out with a little more Sia, and we got the book up the book, everyone, what we're doing, if they want to, and if they want to jump in, we, they can reach out to us if they're a PT. What was the mm-hmm. book? Um, Hacking Health. Hacking Health by David Dr. Petrino. David Petrino. I wonder if Jimmy's going to bring him on as a special guest, because he works at the same hospital is him. We'll see. Jimmy, if you're listening. I, I can neither confirm nor deny any plans related to that. I was thinking. I was thinking. Anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll let you guys know. Hopefully you got 1% better and you're feeling unstoppable. And uh, next time you have uh, uh, any kind of injury, you know, to look for a PT, 
in the ED and not the erectile dysfunction. Anyway, we're going to sign off there. And uh, 